Good afternoon, everyone. Um, welcome. Um, uh, it's great to see you. Um, can I invite you to grab one of the booklets that are on your tables? It might be a blue one or it might be a white one, but we've got copies of uh, John's Gospel um, there for us. And if you could just lift that um, as you're kind of uh, coming in and finding a seat. I'm just going to take a few minutes to introduce um, this book to us. Um, what you're holding in your hands is a modern English translation of a very old book. Um, it was originally written in Greek uh, nearly 2,000 years ago. So I've got some sort of possible dates that this was written there on the handout. These are kind of, that's a kind of a guess based on lots of evidence that I won't uh, bore you with now. But sometimes towards, towards the end of the first century, uh, people think this book uh, was written. Uh, we don't know the name of the author. He doesn't tell us his name. He seems to be sort of slightly reticent, slightly shy of actually telling us his name. But he does seem to refer to himself as a beloved disciple, a beloved follower of Jesus. Um, if you can, just turn to the, to the final couple of pages of um, that book. Page 61, uh, we can just see a little bit of, get a little bit of a sense of uh, where this uh, book is coming from. So page 61, at the bottom, bottom of the page there, uh, verse 20, um, there's a little incident, really the final story in this gospel, uh, in this book. Um, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, following Peter and Jesus, the one who had been reclining at table close to Jesus and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? So this beloved disciple is somebody who was sitting really right next to Jesus at his last supper. And he's, um, he's here with Peter, following Peter and Jesus. And then turn over the page, um, verse 23. Um, the saying spread aboard, among the disciples, among the brothers, that this disciple, the beloved disciple, was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not about to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? And then verse number 24, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who's written these things, and we know his testimony is true. So this disciple is the, who's writing this, is the beloved disciple, this one who was close to Jesus at the Last Supper. And you can see here, he's kind of correcting a, a rumour that's spread abroad in the churches about when he was going to die, this beloved disciple. Uh, so that's the author of this book, somebody who's been a friend of Jesus and, and been very close to him. And you can see there that he's telling us how we're meant to read this book. He says in verse 24 that this is his testimony. So this book is a kind of like a collection of eyewitness material uh, from somebody who was a friend of Jesus, who knew him really intimately. And that, I think, makes it immediately quite a significant document. Whatever your kind of perspective, whether you're somebody who's coming to this very sceptical this lunchtime, or whether you're somebody who's um, a committed follower of Jesus, I think this is extraordinarily important. Because this is claiming to be eyewitness testimony uh, about the life of the most significant person who's ever lived by a lot of people's um, understandings. Um, it was a great night, wasn't it, on uh, Saturday night? Um, a well-deserved victory for Ireland. Credit where credit is due and, and all that. Um, I, I watched the match uh, myself on TV and very much enjoyed it. It was a, gr it was a great game. Um, but one of, our, one of our friends was actually down at the Aviva in Dublin for the match. And you can imagine, when, as soon as we saw him, we had loads of questions for him. We were grilling him about all sorts of things. And one of the things we were grilling him about was what was the atmosphere like in the stadium? Because you can pick up a lot of things, can't you, through the TV and through the microphones, but you can't ever really get a sense of what the atmosphere was like in the ground itself unless you were actually there. 
And so even today, with kind of all our videos on our mobile phones and everything like that, we're still relying on eyewitness testimony to get a sense of the real impact of an event, even an event that's got so many cameras and microphones uh, zo zooming in on it. And if that's true of something like a, a rugby match uh, today, how much more is that true of something that happened so many years ago? If we want to get a sense of the, the, the real impact of the life of Jesus, then there's no point kind of looking at what sort of scholars say about what may or may not have happened. The best thing we can do is to look at the eyewitness testimony itself and really get a sense of what the impact of Jesus' life was on somebody who actually knew Jesus and was with him. And so that, I think, makes this little book that you're holding in your hands really, really important. Surely it's something that's worth reading. Um, I was looking up this morning and discovered that apparently um, Americans, um, the, most Americans read four books a year. Okay, now you're thinking that's probably not a lot. Actually, it's, it's worse in the UK. Uh, we read less than Americans do. So if, any, if, that's kind of, if we're kind of average, um, then we're going to read four books next year. And that probably means we'll not read many more than maybe 100 books, I don't know, in our life, something like that. But surely, if you were going to make a list of the most important books that you could read in your life, surely a book like this would have to be there, wouldn't it? Surely a book that is claiming to be eyewitness testimony about one of the most significant people who ever lived would be very much worth re reading. Well, we're hoping in the new year to kind of continue working through John's Gospel, and so we hope you'll be able to join us as we do that. If you've never read one of these little Gospels, um, do feel free to take this away if you'd like to and have a, have a read of it. We'd love you to do that, and we can always order more in if they all go today. Um, so feel free to take that away. But um, in these weeks before Christmas, if you turn back to page three, uh, we're simply going to be working through quite slowly uh, this opening page of John's Gospel. It has quite a grand title. A lot of people call it the prologue to John's Gospel because it's this kind of majestic opening uh, to uh, his account of Jesus' life. And the title that we've given this series is there at the top of your handouts, um, The Word Became Flesh. And that's coming from verse uh, number 14. Just have a look at it there. Uh, John says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That seems to be uh, the statement that this whole kind of opening section of his gospel is driving towards. And that's why we've made it the title of this series. And many of us, I guess, will recognize that what John's talking about there is, is actually the first Christmas. He's talking about the time when, when Jesus was conceived and developed in Mary's room and was born uh, with all the shepherds and the wise men and everything else that comes with it. Except, Jesus doesn't, except John doesn't mention those details here. He doesn't really dwell on the kind of historical facts uh, at this point in time. And that really tips our, tips our minds that, that John's doing something a little bit different to some of the other people who have written about Jesus' life. He's not so much, well, he's not just doing history. He's certainly not just trying to tell us a kind of a pure factual account of what happened. John is interested in the meaning of what happened. John really wants to kind of try to, to, to show us why Jesus' life really matters. Why it isn't just uh, a guy who's dead and buried, uh, who, who, who might be interesting, but basically doesn't really matter. John wants to say that what happened with Jesus is really full of meaning, full of meaning for us today. And that's true of Christmas as well. 
Uh, John is wanting to tell us uh, about the original meaning of Christmas, that it wasn't just a historical event that may or may not have happened, but something that's full of meaning uh, for us today. And I think John is wanting to tell us that the original meaning of Christmas is, is actually the original meaning of everything. I'll say that again. I think John's trying to get us to see that the original meaning of Christmas is the original meaning of everything. Uh, now, to show us that, uh, John starts talking about this character called the Word. That's how he refers to Jesus, as the Word. And John, John wants to take us back before um, Jesus was born into the life that the Word had before he was born. Um, and it's this life that's going to give meaning to everything. Uh, so let's, let's dive in and let's read these first five verses um, of this uh, account of Jesus. So we're beginning there at the top of the page. Um, where it says, uh, number one, in the beginning, John says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, there's loads in here, um, uh, loads and loads of things to try and see. And just to begin to help us to get a sense of what John is um, seeing, I'm just going to try and draw out two points uh, from this, and you can see them there on your handout. So John's talking about the original meaning of Christmas. He's talking about the original uh, kind of the backstory, if you like, of Christmas. And he says, the original meaning of Christmas, firstly, is the original word of God. Verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, that little phrase, in the beginning, um, when he says that, John is actually taking us back to the very first words in the whole of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 starts that same way. It says, in the beginning. And so you can see straight away, John here is not just taking us to the beginning of Jesus' earthly life. He's taking us back to the very beginning of time. Now, physicists um, will tell us that when you start thinking about what the beginning of time looks like, everything gets pretty crazy, doesn't it? It it all starts warping. I don't know, does time kind of shrink or does it elongate? I'm never quite sure. But something strange happens at the beginning of time and it kind of bends. Um, And John is actually saying... Um, not even, he's not even just taking us back to the beginning of time. If you can imagine it, he's actually taking us back even beyond the beginning of time. Look again at what he says. He doesn't just say, in the beginning, the word began, or in the beginning, the, you know, the, world's, the word started. He says, in the beginning was the word. Okay, so already in the beginning, even in the, before the very first moments, there was the word already. So however far you try to go back, however much we stretch our minds to try and think about what it was like in the beginning, however far back you go, there was the Word already. In the beginning was the Word. Uh, You could almost say at the origin of everything is the Word. But he wasn't alone. Verse 1 again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
Now, John's using his words very, very, very carefully here. And so this is kind of quite hard stuff for us on a Wednesday lunchtime when we've been in work. But just try and follow this if you can. Um, John is saying that the Word is just as much God as God is. Okay? He was God. The Word was God. So he's just as much God as God is. But he's not collapsible into God. The Word is with God. He's distinct from God. Can you, can you kind of see how those two things are coming out of this? The Word is equal with God, but he's not collapsible into God. He's distinct from God. And um, many of us will recognize this is the foundation of the, the Christian teaching that God is a trinity. He's three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're seeing the Father here, God, and we're seeing the Son here described as the Word. And of course, many of us are probably thinking, oh no, you know, I didn't come out this, this lunchtime to hear about this, because if we're Christians, we find the doctrine of the Trinity very, very hard. And if you're not a Christian, maybe that this is actually one of the reasons you're not a Christian, because you think, how could there ever be three in one? How, you know, it just doesn't, just doesn't work. And it is hard to understand. There's no question that this is a mind-bending thing. But we should expect that, shouldn't we? If the very beginning of the universe is mind-bending to us, if it's very strange to kind of think about what time and space was like at the very beginning of the universe, according to our best sort of theories, well, how much more is it going to stretch our minds to think about what God is like even before the beginning of the universe? Um, so it is, it is hard to understand. I think that's good. I think that's a sign that actually there's, there's truth here. But John does want us to try and grasp this at least a little bit. And so he's giving us here an illustration. Did, did you spot the illustration? He talks about uh, God eternally having a word. That's an illustration, right? That's a kind of a concept from ordinary life that, that John is using to try and explain what's going on here. Um, the word for word is in Greek. Anyone know it? What's the word for word in Greek? Logos, yeah, it, he, that, that's the word he uses, okay? And that is quite a broad word. So he could be talking about a kind of a spoken word, but you can also use logos to talk about a word that's kind of in your head, a kind of an internal word, a thought, okay? And that seems to be, to me, what, what John is talking about here. He's saying that, that God thinking is the word. God in the act of thinking, God eternally is thinking, and that is the word, God's kind of thought of himself. Um, <clears throat> don't worry if that doesn't make loads of sense to you, but think about it on your way back. What would it be like for God to be thinking? Well, that is the word of God, kind of uh, equal to God, because God's, thought, God's thoughts are going to be equal to God, but also different from or distinct from God, because God thinking is not the same as God just kind of being don't know if that makes any sense to you or not, but I think that's the illustration that, that John wants to give us. Let me tell you why this matters. Um, what John is saying here, I think, is when the word becomes flesh, we're not just seeing a human being being born. We're not seeing an angel being born. We're not even seeing a kind of a semi-divine thing being born, not like a halfway house between God and us. We're seeing the very word of God the one who's equal to God and yet distinct from God, he is the one who comes into our world. And that's what we remember at Christmas. The original meaning of Christmas is the original word of God. Um, 
It's easy to take that for granted, isn't it? It's easy for us to sort of say, Christmas is all about God coming to earth. And then we maybe go and look for meaning elsewhere. But when we stop and think about it, those are astonishing things to say, aren't they? The, the very thought of God, the very expression of God coming into our world, coming to make God known. Um, <clears throat> I could go on about that, but I, I, I won't. I think, it's, uh, I think we'd all end up with our heads melted. Let me kind of try and draw this out a little bit. Just two points, I guess. In, in a world full of change, John wants to point us to the one who is the eternally unchanging word of God. In a world where everything's kind of messy, John says the word of God came into our world. In a world where many of us are searching for love and for meaning and for joy, John says the one who was eternally with God, the one who is eternally satisfied and perfect with God, he came into our world and makes himself available to us. So the original meaning of Christmas is the original word of God. And so, second point, and this is uh, briefer, uh, and so he is the original meaning of everything. Have a look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So very simply, John's saying here, everything that exists outside of God is traceable back to, to God and to the word of God. He's the original meaning of everything. And logos, another way you could translate logos is, is kind of reason, okay? So that's the kind of idea that I'm sort of playing with there, and I think John's playing with. The, the, the word of God is the reason, the meaning for everything, because you can trace it all back to him. So I, I don't know what sort of um, state your desk is in um, at the moment in work. I, I guess many of us might have left kind of slightly messy desks uh, behind to get out to, to lunchtime today. I know my desk is a bit messy. And maybe if somebody walked past my desk um, at the minute in my house, maybe my wife, she would look at it and just think, that's just sheer chaos, okay? Uh, why is that coffee cop sitting there uh, half drunk? Why is this all messy? But when I go back to my desk later on this afternoon, um, I will be able to know the reason why everything is where it is. I won't just see a kind of a, a big, messy, chaotic uh, desk. I'll see that, oh yeah, that coffee cup is there because I left it there to dash out to come down here today. And that's how the Christian sees the world, right? We don't see a chaotic, messy world with no purpose, no meaning. We see a world with order and meaning because we can trace it all back to the one from whom it comes. Well, I guess you weren't thinking about that on your way into work this morning, were you? No. But um, I think it really matters and I think it will really help us as we uh, think about our work. Let me just give you one reason why this matters uh, just to finish. If this is true, if it's true that there is meaning in this world and it's all traceable back to the word of God, this means that um, when we're working and when we're creating, we're not creating meaning in, in a kind of a chaotic world. We're actually discovering meaning that's already there. Okay, when we, when we uh, launch our spaceships uh, into, into space and land them on comets with incredible precision, what we're doing is we're discovering meaning and order that's already there. We know that the maths adds up. We think that, yes, if we send that spaceship far further than anywhere that any of us have ever gone, we think this will work. And it does work because there's order in the universe that's there to be discovered. 
And as Christians, we believe we can trace that order all back to God. And I think that's true even in your workplaces. As you go back to your work today, whatever work you're doing, you're going to be kind of ordering things and shaping things. But you're not so much kind of creating order as, as working with the order that's already in the universe. In a way, you're, you're recognizing whatever you do this afternoon, that God has created a meaningful, ordered universe for us to do our jobs within. And so John says, verse 4 and verse 5, In him, in the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Or you could say, understood it. The The darkness hasn't understood it. Everyone in our workplaces is working within a meaningful universe. But not everyone recognizes that meaning. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't understood it. But John does understand where that meaning comes from. Because, why? Why does he know that? Because the original meaning of everything has come into our world. That's the original meaning of Christmas, the original word of God, who is the original meaning of everything. Shall we pray? Our Father, you have whacked us around the head this lunchtime with some awesome things, uh, some astonishing things about what it was like uh, to be you and to be with you in the beginning before time even began. And Lord, you've also shown us something about what it means to live in this world that you've made, to be people who live with a world full of meaning that we can ultimately trace back uh, to the reason, to the logos, to the word of God. Our Father, we thank you that he has come into our world, that he was born a human being to make, to make you known, to make himself known, to bring us uh, to you. So Father, as we go back to our workplaces today, help us to live and work in this world that you've made, knowing that the reason for it all has made himself known. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.